Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are grateful for your word. We ask that you would give us a desire to step further into it, that our lives would be conformed to the image of your Son. And in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, we are in, oddly enough, Acts 18. Oddly enough, in that narrative portions, like out of Acts, we should be warned about trying to create too much teaching or doctrine from narrative. Uh, But here I am. I even admit that uh, in the notes someplace that I don't think what I'm about to say is what Luke was trying to communicate, which is a dreadful admission for a a pastor to to make. But I do think it it illustrates something, and in the illustration, we are prompted perhaps to look at something further. What this is in is in the uh, second missionary journey of Paul. He's come down out of Athens to Corinth. The first one of chapter 18 was that move in his uh, uh, travels. And in verse 5, here at the top of the right-hand side, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with preaching, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with all of his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man shall attack you to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. What's interesting of this promise of God that he would not be harmed um, is the next scene where the the Jews create a riot to situation. It goes before the law. And... uh, Mistakes are made. But I want you to know, just, just resting in some of the, gr- the great commentary about the Lord's gospel, arguing that the Christ was Jesus, being rejected by the Jews, being picked up by the Gentiles, as Titius Justice is a obvious Gentile, but also some of the Jews, Crispus, uh, becoming a Christian. Now, what prompted this sermon was the memory I had of my mother. And I've said this to a few of you recently, and that's why I think it was on my mind. My mother um, used to not very complimentarily uh, describe me, um, for he is like Gallio, for he cares for none of these things. Whenever I would be that sort of, uh, eh, I would be caring for none of these things. Everybody else would be in a state and I would be all Winnie the Pooh'd out about who cares. Because that, at the end of this passage, now it's not read that she was King Jamesing it, of course, because 
old missionary lady from Canada. Um, for Gallio, he cared for none of these things, comes out in verse 17 down at the bottom of that section, but Gallio paid no attention to this. That's the thought that was on my mind late last night as I deserted a, 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 a crowd of people in my libraries and I'm going to bed. Went to bed, laid there, and thought of Gallio. I thought of caring for none of these things, and I started to realize, you know, Gallio was a pagan. Gallio had it right. Not just because my mother accused me of being like Gallio, but there's something here that, in a way, Gallio fulfills the Lord's promise to Paul that he would not be harmed by his not caring. But when Gallio was pro-council of Achaia, so I hope you are all pulling your map of Greece into your mind. You know that part sticks down like this? That's the Peloponnese. There's only three fingers, though. Argos, Peloponnese. Then there's a little isthmus right up here. Goes into Attica. and This is all Achaia. Basically, what you think of as Greece now is Achaia, the province, Roman province of Achaia. The proconsul Gallio is appointed in about 51, 52 AD. It's one of the key points dating Paul's missionary's journeys because we know this guy. This guy is talked about. I give you the name here, Lucius Junius Gallio. Um, he's a notable. Appointed by Claudius, proconsul of, of Greece, Achaia. Um, he is Seneca the Younger's brother. He is Lucan's uncle. Um, Nero makes him commit suicide. Uh, you know, all cool, cool stuff. Um, but here he appears as merely a, uh, not a backdrop, but a, a sayer of tidy Roman, well, his brother Seneca, major Stoic, Nero's tutor, as a matter of fact. Um, I don't know how intense uh, Gallio was, but he was considered quite the gentleman. A lot of people referred to him very fondly that he was quite um, a well-mannered man. So he's pro-council of Achaia. The Jews made a united attack upon Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading men to worship God contrary to the law. Have you noticed, I don't know if you watch the news at all, but there's a degree of um, foment, all sides of the line. People doing pre-riots and telling people they're going to riot later. If you don't give us our way, we're going to really riot. And taking over buildings like it was the 60s or something. And uh, you begin to realize that people seem to really care about a bunch of, and they think about the issue. And it's so specious, no matter whether it's a right-leaning issue or a left-leaning issue, it, in many cases, is specious. But here, there are sometimes the idea is really important. Say it's uh, abortion or, or uh, um, what's an important leftist idea? Anything? I'm at a loss. Any? Uh, equality, equality, um, 
I identify as a five-year-old Eskimo. That's, uh, I think, needs to be protected, and I need to be in a safe space about that. But let's just grant that they do, that they can think one up. But here it is, the Jews are saying, this man is persuading men to worship God contrary to the law. I mean, in many ways, that's, that's got importance written all over it. And they've dragged Paul before the tribunal to say this. And but when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, and it's, it's almost like Paul is caught up in this. If you read later, after his third missionary journey, he's in Jerusalem and he asks the tribune, can I speak to the Jews? And he gets out there and he starts to talk, and then he says something just a little bit too insensitive, and riot deteriorates. Soldiers have to come running. The Lord has promised him in Achaia that he is not going to be hurt. He's about to open his mouth, and Gallio said, hang on a second. If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, I should have reason to bear with you, O Jews. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. Too often, one of the reasons we go riot we're not trying to actually stop the event from happening. We're trying to pose a um, a difficulty in front of the observing audience of the nightly news. They see a bunch of you know inflamed whoever, right wing leaning radicals, left wing leaning radicals, Muslims, atheists, whatever with big placards, and it's always big placards with very catchy things said on them. Because you're not playing, those catchy things are not being said to um, convince the person you're saying them at, at the riot. Someone was talking about the other night, we were talking about the Hayden Lake uh, Aryan Nations, uh, and they used to have Nazi marches up in Coeur d'Alene. And some people would come out and stand on soapboxes with funny cartoons. They wouldn't say anything, they'd just hold up these funny cartoons, which I'm pretty convinced did not convince a single Nazi to stop being a Nazi. But it the people were there probably playing to a different audience. They want someone to listen. It sometimes becomes almost a game. I, I, I have been in riots, and I uh, can't say I enjoy them, but I did uh, uh, go to one as a spectator in 60... It was 71. 71, 72, at University of Michigan. Anti-war, anti-Vietnam War. Let's uh, uh, dig some bomb craters in the university uh, lawn. Was the plan. It had been announced. The police had been informed. Everybody was warned, the police are going to be there, you will be arrested, get ready for this. Uh, and it was like a football game. I sat on top of a truck, a semi-truck trailer to watch. They had a band. And the hippies would run forward with their shovels, and they would try to dig into the ground, and the riot police would rush forward, and the hippie would run away. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> a lot of fun. But they really were getting to the point where this is just a game for the entertainment of everybody. 
and hopefully people watching on the nightly news will be shocked at the violence and the outrage of the police brutality because police, if they get to wear that visored thing and hold a truncheon, you know, that the hippie should be beaten to a jelly with, um, doesn't really get to beat the hippie. But it looks like he's beaten the hippie. We're playing for something entirely different than, than um, what we ought to be playing for. Now, I, so as I thought about Gallio's reaction, and they drove, he drove them from the tribunal, because they're not going to listen to this. They want to have their appeal heard. And they said, guys, no, Pope Council says, no, I'm Rome, forget about it. And so the soldiers march them out, and they're out in the street, you know, going into some cataleptic shock and yelling things. And they seize Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue. The Jews seize the ruler of the synagogue and beat him in front of the tribunal. Okay, we'll do something to make the Romans show up. But Gallio paid no attention to this. I would like to recommend a studied paying no attention to life around you. Not just because, again, I'm phlegmatic, or not just because, again, I'm, I'm an existentialist of some sort, but because you're not supposed to. This pagan lays out a good example for us. It stopped the nonsense. People didn't take up the need to respond to something. Somebody else's chaos does not become your problem. Bringing chaos to a situation because it's exciting is probably wicked. My mind naturally thought, and I'm sure yours did, Proverbs 26, 17, the next verse here on the page. He who meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. And some of you are going, well, what's that like? Okay, try to have some sense of poetry in your soul. Realize, what do you think he means? Probably the dogs back in Palestine, the Wayback Machine, were a little less bred to be retarded, like our modern dogs that you purchase and carry around in your purse, ladies, or, or your big, friendly Labradors or Retrievers or whatever it is you get. Now, they're all dumbed down from the genetic deterioration. It used to be they were hunting dogs, war dogs, all sorts of things. You grab a passing dog by the ears, like a Rottweiler. You're going you're going to not, you're going to remember the afternoon. <laughs> Meddles in a quarrel, and the key point is meddling and not your own. Are the things I am involved with, the question I'd like you to take, take home today is, are the things you're involved with thinking about, talking about, involving yourself in, are they yours? Do you have a legitimate claim to be involved? And if you do some sort of backdoor trick about, well, it's about Jesus and I'm a Christian so I can... He has, what did it say of Paul? He's persuading men to worship God contrary to the law. You can create a, a seeming necessary title to the crisis that you are creating by very, 
You might loosely using your words. If someone were teaching someone to worship God contrary to the law, who died and made you in charge of it? Gallio's smart enough to say, not me. I didn't make you in charge of it. I'm not even in charge of it. I'm here, like the prime directive to all civil governments, is to police usurpation. He's there because if there was wrongdoing or a vicious crime, that's why the proconsul's there. He's not there as a theological guide. And if you want to make chaos out of theology, why don't you do it outside? By the way, Sosthenes was probably a ruler of the synagogue, a Jew, who became a Christian or was considering it because he's introduced in 1 Corinthians 1 um, uh, as, as a named brother of Paul. And uh, so he was probably a Jew that had traitored over to the Christians. The things we're involved with, are we the government that God has given that to? So, well, you're trying to make us unconcerned? Well, be concerned. Be in prayer about the things you don't govern. That's how you touch the things you don't govern. You give it to he, him who is in charge of the world and say, Lord, have mercy on our nation regarding this problem, that problem. But do we end up as Christians acting like the Jews in Corinth, causing a mini-riot outside this situation or that situation? Now, when I ask the question on the left-hand side, what are we up to? One, you have to say, is, is this even, Evan, you've just taken something and, and lofted this idea of not caring for any of these things. I want you to measure which things you should care for, which things you should be involved with. <laughs> Show me your badge. you have your badge with you today, Brian? Hey, ask Brian afterwards. He'll show you his badge. He's the prosecutor up in St. Mary. He's got a badge. I do not have a badge. Just a second. I do have a membership card to the Drones Club. <laughs> Just a second. This is it, laminated, signed by Evan Wilson, <laughs> Grand Drone. It's pretty official looking. Means I know everything about anything. But you have to have a badge. That's why you demand a badge. When somebody pulls you over or you, you want to see at least a uniform. If you got pulled over by one of your friends here who just was a little bit concerned about your driving and they had purchased at, you know, some, you know, civic sale, extra blue light to go on top of their car. It, we know that this happens. I'm encouraging you to start studying where you should shut up. Has some not more things in Proverbs here. I was just thought of that one verse, you know, the, the passing dog by the ears, big mistake. But the rest of it goes on and suggests that there are worlds or reasoning behind our desire to pick up stuff that doesn't belong to us. You see a $5 bill on the ground, you pick it up, right? Because even though it doesn't belong to you, you would like it to belong to you. You would like to have, oh, $5. I'm $5 to the good. And so when we step into other people's situations, other people's business, 
You're like a madman, verse 18, who throws firebrands, arrows, and death. Like that is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Sometimes we do it because it's good fun. But it's like being crazy. Don't, not knowing what damage you're doing. Now some of you are not good at telling jokes. I will not let my gaze rest on anybody in particular. And you know that you're not very good because you always say, I'm only, I was only joking right afterwards. Be very biblical. I am only joking. If you have to tell someone you're joking, quit it. You're not good at it. You're probably trying to excuse messing with somebody and you suspect they're going to know you're messing with them so you want to put this covering over it that says, well, since it's a joke, you've got to take it or you don't have a sense of humor. What's our motivation? Everyone loves slapstick. If I were during the hymns, I was thinking about this earlier, because I walk over here because the reason I do it's not because of liturgy. It's because I'd be singing into the mic if I stayed there. And it would be all heaven all the time if I didn't move over here. But there was a time years ago, I toppled. I came to the edge of the stage not recognizing where I was. And nearly did, you know, a rather hilarious face plant. It was enough. Enough people were watching my every move to realize they weren't caring about the hymns they were singing before God in the joy of their Christian faith and were more interested in watching the pastor fall on his duff. <laughs> and I'm describing it. Those of you who were there, you go, oh, yeah, I remember that. Not, don't remember the sermon. Don't remember the hymn. Don't remember the fellowship of the saints, the love you had for everybody in the room. You remember he almost fell down because other people's discomfort is a lot of fun. That's what slapstick is. Now, if it's an agreed-upon thing, you know it's Harold Lloyd. The Marx Brothers, Three Musketeers, not Three Musketeers, what's the other one? Three Stooges. Musketeers, Stooges. We understand we're given a, a latitude of fun on the situation, but if you're creating chaos in someone's life, wanting to claim it's joking, you realize, am I some sort of perverse, crazy person? Because I'm throwing firebrands. I mean, what would you feel about a church where the pastor not only tried to edify you, but had a group of, like a bunch of lit Fourth of July sparklers? Which would probably be, oh, this is an exciting church. This is better than, you know, praise songs or um, waving our hands in the air, the pastor's got sparklers. But the pastor starts throwing them out one at a time, lit into the audience randomly. So you not just have sparklers, which is entertaining, um, they're descending on you. And then he reaches into his bucket of, what would be the other thing? Arrows, let's say number 11 exacto blades. Have you ever catched, caught an exacto blade? They're really sharp. I have a hole in my, my thigh from catching them at work one day. He said that we don't want that kind of world. Well, the kind of world that steps in and says, I'm going to be in other people's business has all sorts of reasons for being there. 
You think you belong there? You think you're in charge because you have an opinion? I've got a lot of opinions. I would love to be in charge of all of your lives. I have monarchy on the brain. I want to rule all things. I better not. For the lack of wood, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. And, there is, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. It's how the bad things in your life. Has anybody ever said anything unkind about you to anybody else? And it affected your life? You know what the pain is of having a whisper, gossipy, clicky sort of thing going down. You know what it's like. You might have even done it to somebody. When you remove the person who does this, great peace descends on your immediate society. Quarreling ceases. What did you say to your parents? But mom, he, you got into trouble for X, but you want to point out that your brother or sister did Y. You want to add not less chaos, but more chaos. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to, to fire, so is the quarrelsome man for kindling strife. It's suggesting, as I, as I measure this idea of being too involved, in other people's stuff. It's suggesting you think of yourself as a quarrelsome person. Did you come out of the situation with more peace in the situation? In, a, in which case, you, maybe you're like Gallio, and it settled the deal. They, they beat up a guy, but they couldn't get anything going. They couldn't get any legal case underway with this. He just stopped it cold by saying, hey, none of my business. Sometimes when you're in charge, you can have it be your business and settle it. Sometimes when you're in charge, you can say, even then, it's not my business. I'm not in charge of your theology. Are you coming out of it creating chaos or making peace? The words of the whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. So be suspicious. It was a first lesson about applying this. When I say be suspicious, some of your minds went to people other than you of whom you are suspicious. I'd like you to be suspicious of your own motivation. Why I want to create peaceful Christians. People that are busy with what God gave them to be busy with. So to understand why we do it, what we are entertained by, what's the recent glut of reality shows, recent as in the last few decades? Why? And why are they not generally happy, normal people? Because we don't want happy, normal. We want the Cardassians. We want awful people doing awful things and dad turning into a girl. That's what we want. Because it's like delicious morsels. It's like chocolate. You ladies know chocolate, right? You've heard of it? Some of you like it? My wife likes it. And it religiously likes it. If you buy dove chocolates inside, it used to be, used to be 
uh, devotionals, little messages to the soul inside the wrapper. Because this is the closest they're going to get to spiritual growth, is eating chocolates and reading the wrapper. Things like, be yourself. Find fulfillment. Rhymes with which. Delicious morsels, we like those. Uh, do you suspect that a gossip really is agonized over the thing that they've just brought up? They're really agonized about it? No. They've got the, the act of agoniz agonizing worked out. Oh, have you heard about poor Mrs. Jensen? I heard her husband's cheating on her. And there's this little twin, little trying to keep the corners of the mouth down when they want to go up. Because it's pretty delicious. It's really nice information. They go down into the inward parts of the body. Now why? Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are smooth, are smooth lips with an evil heart. It's just dirt on the inside. It's just roasted clay. Looks kind of pretty. We can make this whole process look like Christians interceding for other Christians. Christians maybe rejoicing about even positive things too much. Ever wish people would be out of your business even if it was positive? Ever get a boyfriend? And everybody is so thrilled. And they all want to be a part of this great romance. And you just want a handgun. <laughs> I'm not advocating as a pastor shooting your fellow Christian. But I'm, I'm suggesting perhaps the urge to do so is a valid spiritual point. <laughs> because some people are trying to make hay enjoyments, recreation, involvement in things that are not their primary task. You have been given, you are delegated your will in a certain area. Find out what it is and do the job. If you have any leftover time, you can come get involved in my business. I might need you. But most of us look around and go, you know, most people need to be a little more involved in their own. He who hates dissembles with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Not only are you might be a quarrelsome person, but a purveyor of chaos for its entertainment value, but you're, there's a rot that is set in. And you have designed the superficial involvement. We're just Christians interested in the preservation of the true doctrines of the faith whatever it might be, or stopping people from being this kind of wicked. You see the skirt on that girl? Really? You know, he speaks graciously. When a person does not, does not have worked out how much they should be involved, they start to involve themselves too much, they're covering up seven abominations. This is one of the reasons why in the broader Christian culture nationally, we're constantly surprised by some guy, famous Christian, it was in Newton, Devin Patrick, is that the latest guy who went down in flames? Fired, me mega church back somewhere, not here. 
illegitimate relationships with various women in his congregation. Illegitimate, in other words, not faithful to his wife. And so many, so many of these megachurches get their living, and it's small churches too, ours could do it too, but so much of it is making hay out of being that involved in you. Setting the limits, setting the hurdles, setting the hedge laws, whatever they might be, however they might be running your particular Christian situation. They're very involved. And too often the seven abominations, though his hatred be covered with guile, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. It will, if you spend your life faking the piety by being involved in other people's impiety, faking piety by being artificially concerned, a glaze over what the real rot of your life is, but you talk about other people's stuff, the way the pagans deal with things, or the way the Christians of that set deal with things, you might last a long time. You might have a pretty good career. It might be financially beneficial to you. But the Lord promises your wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. And that's what I like to see about these fallen pastors. I enjoy it. Not because it's good to see them trip and stumble. Not because I, hopefully, it's not because I, I want to see some crisis or chaos. I've got to check that, too. But it's the Lord's punishment that is promised. You can't do this. You can't lecture other people until, what does it say about in Galatians? About any brother is overtaken in a trespass. You who are spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. You having an opinion about what they're doing didn't make you spiritual. You have got to have spent enough time on you that you're worried about, if anything, bragging. That the Lord is doing such good things in you that you almost can't bear to think about it because it'd be too much thanksgiving, too much joy walking with the Lord. Those are the people that get to say something about someone else. Someone does get to do something. Someone in charge. You've got to find out what's my argument that puts me in charge. If I see a sin in someone else in the body, I'm not in charge until I'm godly. Then you get to approach them. But you still got to watch out. You got to do it in the spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself likewise, lest you too be tempted. We are such other people's sin conscious. He who digs a pit will fall into it. That's one of my favorite verses repeated in uh, Ecclesiastes as well. You dig a hole, you will fall into it. There's a negative potential to everything you're doing. And if you think you can do this busybody thing constantly and not have it come back as instant karma, you are wrong. A stone will come back upon him who starts it rolling. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Now, you have to remember 
You have to remember that if you're going to play in this chaos arena, calamity and chaos, where you get to go trot into other people's lives and try to solve their little problems, and you haven't been called to it, you haven't been delegated by God to do it, you haven't earned it by showing the uh, maturity in the faith. Chaos is chaos. You get caught up in it. It will destroy you. Now, for the Christian, this is old, you know, there's a narrative passage that I already admitted wasn't about this. There's a uh, proverbial set of proverbs about messing with business not your own. How do we as Christians deal with this? I have 1 Thessalonians 4 and 9. And I apologize here at the outset. I love, used to find, I usually like to have one passage takes up the side so you know it's the contextual circumstance. You can check the pastor, make sure he's not wandering from the faith. So I'm a little nervous about having four different passages on here, but you know, bear with me. Check the context later. Um, but in Thessalonians 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, I want to remind you of a little encouragement that Paul gives. But concerning love of the brethren, you have no need to have anyone write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Now we know that the new covenant for the Christian is a new covenant of the imperatives of God met by love, not not by law. There's no set of rules. There were sets of rules for the Jews. There's no sets of rules for the Christians. There's love, because love does not wrong its neighbor. And so when he says this to the Thessalonians, I, I, you don't need to have anyone writing you because you are already being taught by God to love. As indeed, and indeed you do love all the brethren throughout Macedonia. These guys had the new covenant down. But we exhort you, brethren, to do so more and more. So if you've been taught by God to love, you've got a reputation of doing that love, uh, I'm encouraging you to do love, love more and more. Now, what I want you to think about is, if, if love is central to the Christian faith of how we are obedient, and that's what you should be finding to make you what God wants you to be, what is it making in them? Do so more and more, loving each other, to aspire to live quietly. That's your aspiration. That's what you'd like to have. Now, I don't think many of you mind that. I think a lot of you, the 2.5 children, the picket fence, uh, you know, enough money for private Christian school, whatever it is, some quiet existence. But think about it. Meditate on it. Do I want, do I, because I'm warning only those who have got this kind of eagerness to step into excitements. What's the next one? To, this, is, this is telling. To mind your own affairs. When it's telling you to love more and more and it's elaborating on this loving more and more as desiring quiet life and minding your own business. You know what the phrase mind your own business means. And to work with your hands as we charged you. 
Now this is the deeper walk of love. This is not the shallow Christian who can't be inspired to get out there and riot in the streets with the other, you know, pious. This is not those people who are not thundering against all the wickedness that is in the church and in the world. These are people who have been taught by God to love one another, as indeed they do, and they're being exhorted to do so more and more. And these are the things Paul picks up and says, why don't you consider these? Oh, deeper loving Christians really want to live quietly, really mind your own business, and get a good job. Why? So that you may command the respect of outsiders. Because you know, Gallio, a Stoic, a Roman, a pagan, has an opinion about this kind of stuff, this kind of behavior, He'd rather have a bunch of legionnaires push him out of his courts and not pay any attention to them. He understands the kind of person he would respect, and he wasn't respecting the Jews in this matter. The non-Christians recognize people who have practiced, not because they're dull, not because they don't have any excitement, or because they lack courage to get there into the into the, into the breach and, and fight the zeitgeist of the, of the world. It's because they're deeper Christians who love and they understand that love produces this to one degree or another. Now I know we were talking last night in the library about yeah there are people who always point out Jesus driving out the money changing and everybody wants to think that their little action is always a direct mirror image of Jesus doing something like that. But for the large measure, you look at Christ's ministry, he minded his own business. He would speak against things. But he also, you look, I, I keep telling people this, do you see any of the interest in the church of the first century in any of the social ills that, was going on, that were going on in the Roman Empire? You were having people killed for games. Okay, not babies. Adults killed for entertainment and sporting contest. Where were the Christians setting up the anti-gladiatorial combat uh, ministry? Why didn't they even think of it? They're trying to make you pass from death to life, move from selfish urges and living for Jesus Christ in the peace that is living for Jesus Christ. Living quietly, minding your own business, working with your hands, that you may command the respect of outsiders and be dependent upon nobody. That sort of suggests that the job not just makes you respectable, but makes you dependent on no one. And you are not being a problem to your society. Is that Pax? I'm afraid so. Uh, poorly named. <laughs> Fine. He's, he's, it's, 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 it's a good for him to subconsciously be t soaking this in. I, I, it was an amen. Okay. We'll treat it that way. So you're led by love in the new covenant. And more and more love produces this. I want you to think about whether or not it has. Whether most of your 
growth points in Christianity is how excited you are about bigger Christian things, or is it how excited you are about crafting a life that Jesus Christ and the pagan would be impressed with? It's hard to break away because I mentioned here on the left-hand side, I jotted this down. Living other people's lives is charming, deals with good and evil, offers hours of conversation, and even designs ecclesiastical paths along which the busybody can function. You can really be religiously involved in other people's lives. But in the most natural of settings, the most legitimate of requests, I have here John 21, the very end of the Gospel of John. You're familiar with the passage. It's right after Peter has been challenged on, do you love me? Three times, and you, everybody goes, oh, this is a little awkward. He gets to the end of that, and Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you girded yourself and walked where you would. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish to go. This he said to show by what death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Right? He straightened out Peter's denying him three times, got him to commit himself three times to serving him. And then he prophesied how he was going to be crucified. And that he wasn't going to like it. And then said, follow me. Kind of a, these are right there on Peter's plate. Now, look what Peter does. Peter turned and saw following them the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, who's writing this gospel, who had lain close to his breast at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So John is uh, noting this little conversation with Peter. And probably Peter told him later if he wasn't there to hear it. Looks back at John and says, what about that guy? Maybe because he'd just been told how he was going to be crucified. Wanted to know how it was to turn out for others. Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Now, if you hadn't read the previous verse where he already said, follow me, he had already told Peter what Peter should do regarding his walk with Christ. Peter, follow Christ. And then he says, what is that to you? What I just told you is follow me. Don't you think your thought shouldn't go automatically having been told to follow me as to compare yourself to John and what John's getting out of this? And he says, you're going to be carried off and crucified. John could be left until I come. John does not die of martyr's death, by the way. He may have lasted until the Lord came. What is that to you? Follow me. Do you have something better to do? And not just involved in a greater selfishness. I'm not recommending that you, know, you become a a practical solipsist, a, a, a person who only thinks of their own good and their own interests, because that's how you're tricked into going out there and mending, minding somebody else's business. 
as you're told that it'd be wrong to mind your own. We're talking about minding your own in the, in the presence of Christ. Minding your own as a development of the love you have for the Lord. That's what, you, I don't know if you knew that you present yourself before the living God on the last day when he judges the secrets in the hearts of men. That's what you present. You. What condition will it be in? In the, uh, I didn't have room to put this passage, but it's out of Timothy. As we close, it's about that time. Where's Timothy? Somewhere back here. I shouldn't be allowed to be a pastor. I'll tell you that much. 1 Timothy 5. It's talking about, it's talking about widows here. Verse 9, talking about which widows you could enroll. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and she must be well attested for her good deeds, as one who has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the feet of the saints, relieved the afflicted, devoted herself to doing good in every way. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when they grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. And so they incur condemnation for having violated their first pledge. Now listen to this. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, gadding about from house to house, and not only idlers, but gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. The widow that was ready to be enrolled had devoted herself to good deeds, but they're of a certain kind, not the kind that is, can be described in those subjective terms of gadding about. You know, so much gadding about, so much talk. Men can do it about theology and theological fights. Women can do it about what's going on in other people's lives. We're supposed to be designing a life that is pleasing to our God. He says that they should, I desire that they marry, bear children, rule their households, and give the enemy no occasion to revile us. The respect of outsiders is you finding the kind of life you should be designing and forgetting for the moment your designing designs on other people's lives. Are you what Jesus Christ wants? Have you found something better to do with your time? Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful. Lord, we ask that you would lead us and if you're going to use us in helping circumstances removed from our lives, we'd ask that you'd build us up in your son first. That we would know him and the life we have in him. That our lives would be respected by the world. We'd ask that we'd be able to speak with authority when those times come, Lord. But we'd ask that you'd keep us from those temptations of being corrective to everyone else. It's subtle, Lord. We'd ask that you give us that subtlety. In your son's name, amen.